Welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the No More Risk Better podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy at Credit Sites. And today I have Zach Griffiths, our Head of U.S. Investment Grade Strategy and Head of Macro and Rate Strategy. And we are fresh out of the Fed press conference with Fed Chair Powell. As we last saw, markets were loving the press conference, very positive reaction, equities going higher, treasury yields moving lower. Will this last? That's definitely a question, but we wanted to recap our key takeaways from today. It was a big double whammy post-Halloween of treasury refunding plus Fed presser. So Zach, let's start with some of those key takeaways from the Fed. We had the hawkish hold that we had kind of expected. Did he deliver on your expectations, on your views? Was he hawkish enough? Thanks, Winnie. I I think the hawkish hold is definitely a good way to characterize the press conference as well as the policy statement. We got the upgrade in terms of its assessment of economic activity in the third quarter to strong from solid. And the other major, or I guess I should say subtle, change to the policy statement was an acknowledgement that financial conditions have tightened in addition to credit conditions. And so to us, that's a nod to higher treasury yields that we've gotten over the intermediate period as well as a stronger dollar. And so I think both of those things are more of a mark to market message and not necessarily indicative of future policy. When we think about the press conference itself and what Chairman Powell said, he struck kind of a balanced tone. I think he emphasized they're going to proceed carefully, but they still have work to do to make sure that policy is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation back toward its 2% target. And so throughout the Q&A session, plenty of reporters are trying to get a sense of whether or not they still have a hawkish bias. Again, he emphasized that they are not convinced that they're sufficiently restrictive, but they are also not convinced that they are not sufficiently restrictive. So there was plenty of back and forth. And I, I think the best way to characterize the press conference is balanced. And when you think about how Fed policymakers had positioned their comments, really for most of the summer, it had been very deliberately hawkish. And so there has been a bit of softening there in terms of the current messaging. I think recognizing the bear steepener we've seen recently has real implications for Main Street or the real economy in terms of borrowing costs. And we've yet to see the full impact of that. So Chairman Powell did 
recognize that while at the same time noting that economic activity indicators have been more resilient than expected. And he did indicate that if we were to see a reversal of some of the better balance in the labor market we had gotten over the past couple of months, or if GDP growth continued to go along above potential, then that could be a reason for them to tighten further and they stand ready to do that. And so I think the hawkish hold, again, that seems to be what we got. And in terms of of what we had anticipated, that's mostly in line with our call. We've been saying to clients recently that we expect the Fed to remain hawkish in terms of forward guidance, really right up until they're quite confident that inflation is on that sustained path toward 2%. And so we're not there yet, but we remain of the view that we could be there a bit sooner than where the market is priced in terms of that shift to rate cuts. If the bear steepener is making its way through the real economy, I don't think people realize it because reactions to my Halloween costume were pretty underwhelming. It seems like nobody really understands the real dire outcome of a bear steepener, but I digress. So let's move on to the Treasury refunding announcement, which is normally not something that a lot of people pay attention to, especially in the credit market. Zach, I know that you come from the rates world where everybody gets all jazzed up about Treasury refunding. This is a little bit new to me. So we have laid out kind of the basic mechanics of Treasury refunding in some of our other reports, thanks to you on that, Zach. We had been expecting with today's announcement that there would be a downshift in the pace of increases. So Treasury is still increasing the amount that they need to issue, but at a slower pace. What exactly did the Treasury deliver? Is that actually what's driving yields today? And how are you thinking about today's announcement in the context of the path of Treasury yields going forward? First of all, I got to say the bear steepener costume, incredible idea, and probably one of the scariest things for fixed income investors over the past couple of months. So it really fits the Halloween theme there. But I also digress. Getting into the details of the Treasury refunding, we definitely saw a downshift in the pace of increases. So we're still seeing Treasury increasing nominal coupon auctions across the board as the previous slate is really not well suited to meet longer term funding needs based on our deficit expectations. And so what we saw was a heavier reliance on the two-year and five-year note than we had anticipated. Those received $3 billion per month increases over the next three months and less of a reliance on the long end, which actually was in line with our expectations with the 10-year treasury note being increased by $2 billion, that's for the original issue and subsequent reopenings, and then just $1 billion for the 30-year bond original issue and reopening. And so there, there was an expectation that perhaps there'd be a little bit larger increases to both the 10-year the note and 30-year bond. And so in the immediate aftermath of the announcement, you saw yields a bit lower, and they have really moved lower throughout the day. Going through the rest of the refunding materials, of which there are quite a few, it, it seems like Treasury is likely to do one more round of increases. And if you look at some of the recommendations it got from the Treasury Borrowing Advisory Committee, it emphasized continuing to focus on the most liquid points of the curve. We think about that as twos, fives, tens, and even thirties going all the way out to the long end and less of a reliance on further out the curve and and some of the more illiquid points that we've seen over the years, threes, sevens, and twenties. In fact, Treasury opted to not increase the 20-year bond auction at all. And so there seems to be 
a bit of a relief. Treasury is more comfortable relying more heavily on T-bill issuance going forward relative to the historical recommendation by the Treasury Borrowing Advisory Committee to keep T-bill supply or T-bills outstanding between 15 and 20% of marketable debt outstanding. It's a little bit above 20 now. It seems likely to remain there as Treasury indicated bill supply or current bill auction sizes will remain where they are through the end of November before moderating in December. And so I we think it makes sense for Treasury to continue leaning on the front end as a it gives the optionality of if rates do start to move lower, you can either term out later or take advantage of kind of rolling over these short-term debt instruments at lower rates. And that's really where all the cash is. You still see plenty of cash parked at money market mutual funds. And so that's certainly where it seems demand has been the most resilient. And when you think about the bear steepening, some supply and demand imbalances, especially relative to the size of the increases we saw in August have been at play. And so in general, I think more or less our expectations were met. The market was a little bit surprised by less of an increase at the long end. And so that has kind of produced so far a relief rally. We'll see if if that persists into the end of the week. We have some key labor market indicators to be released on Thursday with initial jobless claims and, of course, non-farm payrolls on Friday. But the immediate reaction seems to be a growing in the market is a bit more comfortable, let's say, with kind of where we are with supply and perhaps the repricing of supply and demand and fiscal concerns may have happened. You certainly have had a, a big run up in real rates. And so, I, you know, there had been a big question for a while, how, how much higher can, can we go? And it does seem like we bumped up against maybe a soft ceiling with 5% on the 10 year. We really weren't able to hold that level. And while we're not ready to say there's, there's no chance that we move back above 5%, especially if the economy remains even more resilient and perhaps if the Fed is not able to shift to rate cuts as quickly as we expect. And, and we think that would be, have to be driven primarily by inflation being stickier than we currently forecast. That certainly could come together to cause another leg higher. But the key takeaway today is a little bit more issuance at the front end than what TBAC has historically recommended and a little bit less in terms of increases at the long end has really been kind of a soothing news for the market following you know several months of considerable increases to yields across the curve and that spooky bear steepener that we've seen. Those spooky bear steepeners, absolutely. I think it's probably also helpful that we now do have a speaker of the House as well in our U.S. Congress because there will be another round of addressing budget considerations in the near term. So let's turn a little bit to the economic data front as that was a big topic of conversation in the Fed press conference today. And it's going to be absolutely what the market is focused on now that we are on the other side almost of earnings season. We still have another kind of chunky, busy week ahead of us next week. But I do think that the economic economic data are going to prove to be pretty important. And this week, we've had some kind of interesting data. So Zach, let's run through what have we seen this week in terms of economic data? And what do you think some of these prints mean for the future path of both monetary policy and the economy at large? Yeah, really kind of a crazy week in terms of the confluence of important releases Going to sort of the inflation side, the, the one key print was the employment cost index that came in slightly hotter than expected at 1.1%. So that's a measure we only get quarterly. The expectation was for a 
percent quarterly increase. And I think you noted this, Winnie, earlier in the week. A lot of that was was driven by the government and fiscal side. And so I think you can take that a little bit with the grain of salt as we are expecting kind of the stealth fiscal easing that we've had over the past fiscal year to come off. And that's using a term that our colleague Connor Beeky, the BMI side, used in a separate podcast we did. And so to us, the balance of recent inflation data has been encouraging and, if anything, a little bit more balanced. It is coming down, but we have seen some somewhat concerning prints on the services side. We don't think that those will persist, but will certainly be something we're keeping an eye on. Consumer confidence, surprise to the upside, that's been pretty volatile. It has been influenced historically by gasoline prices, and so that's something that we're going to kind of keep an eye on in terms of how the geopolitical backdrop is playing into sentiment here at home. ADP employment came in below expectations quite considerably at 113,000. We would note that historically there is a fairly limited correlation between ADP and the official non-farm payroll. So to the extent that that was a major driver of the move today, which I'm skeptical of, I think if non-farm payrolls has done what it's done in the past and surprised even to the other direction, then we certainly could see a reversal in some of that move by the end of this week. ISM manufacturing today moved further into contractionary territory. New orders were quite weak. ISM manufacturing employment also dipped into contractionary territory while prices paid did rebound a touch, but remains below that 50 line at around 45. And so on balance, you are certainly still seeing the impact of much tighter monetary policy more potently on the manufacturing side. That's been a story that we've kept an eye on really over the past year. And when we think about what's going to drive a further downshift in overall economic growth, it's going to have to come on the services side. We think that's going to become more evident in Q4 of this year and heading into 2024 as some of the tailwinds that we've seen supporting this consumer spending, especially on services starting to come off, including the the restarting of student loan payments, excess savings getting extinguished or close to extinguished, and the continued tightening of credit conditions by commercial banks. And so one last economic data point that we've gotten so far this year the job openings and labor turnover survey, it's really been hard to make sense of this one as job openings continue to remain above the number of unemployed persons. It's been a bit more volatile and last month's data was revised downward so that we got an increase in terms of the latest month's data released this week. We're not placing too much emphasis on that and we'll really be turning to non-farm payrolls. What do we see in the unemployment rate? How are job gains plotting along after the big upside surprise? Is there a big downward revision to those large gains and larger than expected gains that we got last month? And one thing that we were more encouraged about in the September print was even though you had big job gains across the board, average hourly earnings surprise to the downside. And so there's this narrative and the data supports that inflation is coming down even as economic activity in the labor market remain resilient. And so it makes for an interesting situation for the Fed. We think that the focus for now is on inflation. And if we do get much stronger economic activity, then maybe they can't be shifting to rate cuts as quickly as we expect currently. But you know, we are looking for that downshift really driven by the services side and some of this tailwind that the consumer has experienced starting to come off again in Q4 of this year and heading into 2024. So in general, 
still a little bit of something for everyone in the economic data, especially when you start parsing into some of the different aligned items. Our colleagues on the BMI side also tipped us off to some interesting information in the ISM and PMI surveys, you know, talking about employers not backfilling temporary workers who are rolling off or actually using outright layoffs as a tool to kind of right-size workforces clearly hasn't shown up yet in the jobs data, but it does seem like some of that softening is materializing in other sources of information. So to wrap it up, we just got a little bit more constructive again on the credit markets. We had been tactically cautious. We made that call on September 25th when US IG and high yield spreads had been kind of rock solid basically in a small range around our year-end targets of 120 for IG and 400 basis points for high yield. And we were surprised by that because treasury yields had already started to move solidly higher. And at that point, it felt like the path of least resistance for a number of reasons, both fundamental and technical, was probably higher bond yields, wider spreads. And that didn't feel all that great. So on Monday, we removed our call for tactical caution with our Fed preview. And now we need spreads to tighten up and yields to go lower. So Zach, when you were thinking about you know, getting constructive again, moving back to a neutral positioning, what were you thinking of as some of the key drivers? Yeah, I think a, a big part of it, Winnie, is just we have gotten that spread widening, that reset higher in yields that just make investing in corporate credit across investment grade and high yield around 6.3% for IG, 9.5% for high yield. That looks pretty attractive. And when we think about it, considering risks going into 2024, where is the best opportunity? Where is the best relative value? We think investment grade and high yield corporate credit relative to equities. If you want to think about comparing investment grade to large caps and high yield to small caps, we're still looking at some of the most attractive relative value propositions for credit relative to equities that we've seen since the financial crisis. And while we probably won't be seeing huge flows out of money market mutual funds just yet, we are thinking that if the Fed is able to normalize policy around the timeline that we're thinking, you could start to see some of this cash that's been locked up at the front end moving out the curve. And we think that investors that perhaps historically might have taken to equities as the relative value proposition there was more attractive when rates were you know, down near zero, that some of that outflow from the money market funds into you know further out the curve in terms of credit and duration finds its way into corporate credit. And so that's a bit of a, a technical tailwind that we're looking for. We're going to remain in the market weight camp for now, but in terms of what could shift us to overweight, that technical flow is one of the big things we're focused on. And so we do think that duration feels a little bit like a better move, or at least in terms of, of adding risk to portfolios, we like duration a little bit better than credit for right now. But looking ahead in, in terms of some of the technical drivers, November has historically produced widening in IG a little bit more often than tightening. And the average move in, in high yield has been about 10 bips of widening, I think, in November. And so there is a little bit of a technical tailwind if that historical norm holds in November, but we think that could shift pretty dramatically in December as people set up for next year. So the main takeaway is we might see a bit of a choppy November, 
but buy into that weakness because December it's going to be rally hats on when we realize that the Fed is going to be able to start cutting in Q1. At least that is our forecast as of now. Boom. All right, Zach, thank you so much for joining me hot off the Fed press conference and the Treasury refunding announcement and Halloween. We'll have to start brainstorming different finance and economics and rates costumes for next year shortly. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, suggestions for equity market, rate market, bond market related Halloween costumes, send them into us. You can always reach us using the Ask an Analyst function on the creditsites.com website. Thank you all. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.